Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, Mark Twain once said, I never let my schooling interfere with my education. The genius writer and father of American literature was not educated beyond elementary school, and he expressed cynicism toward the mediocre education system in his many quotes about education. He believed that schooling was different from education and learning, and he warned us of the hazards of following the education system with completely blind faith. You see, education is more important today than it has been in any other time in history. And as we leave the industrial age behind and continue through the information age, the value of education continues to increase. But is the education system that you or your children receive today in the school system today adequate enough to meet the challenges of this so-called brave new world? The current education system covers two main areas, academic and professional. But today, We need more new education. It's what I call the third leg of the stool, or financial education. And that's the education that you turn to, to turn the money you earn from your job or profession into lifelong wealth and financial security. So why is this? Well, simply put, as Robert Kiyosaki says, the rules have changed. In the industrial age, the rules were basically go to school, get good grades, find a safe, secure job with benefits, and then stay there your whole life. But after 20 years or so, you know, you retire from the company and then hopefully the company gave you, you know, a pension and the government would take care of you for the rest of your life. But that's not true today. And in fact, it hasn't been true for decades. Today, the rules are go to school, get good grades, find a job, and then retrain yourself for a new job or career. Now you go find yourself a new company and a new job and you retrain again. And this could go on multiple times in a person's lifetime. Just think about all the people that you know that have gone from one job or career and then after a period of time, and that could be even a decade or more, they've now changed their career path. They're now doing something completely different. All along, you're basically hopping or at least hoping you have enough money set aside to last you well into your senior years. Well, I've had a number of people reach out to me over the last year or so and more recently so, asking me about homeschooling. And in case you don't already know, we've homeschooled our daughter Angelina since first grade. So I've decided to interview one or maybe two homeschool moms here in Orange County, where I live. And my wife ended up introducing me to a few of them from one of her local homeschool groups. So this episode should be of interest to you, whether you homeschool or not, or whether you're thinking about it or not. At the core of it is your ability to provide your kids with the best possible education, boost their confidence, and help give them a financial education, the financial education that they need and deserve in order to have the wealth mindset that hopefully you want them to have and to be able to get ahead in the world financially. So throughout this episode and towards the end, I'm going to share some resources that we've used over the years in our homeschooling journey. I want to emphasize that Homeschooling is part art and part science. There really is no one right or wrong way to go about it. And that's the beautiful thing about it is it offers you the freedom and flexibility to provide the quality education and experience that you want it to. 
while at the same time, it allows you to adjust and improve how your children benefit from it. So I hope this episode gives you a good introduction, some new perspective, and answers to some of your questions. Beyond that, there is a lot of good free information that you can gather both online and offline. And believe me, there is a ton of it. And if you enjoy this episode, please remember to share it with your spouse and your family and your friends, those that you care about. Now on to the interview. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome Sherry to the show. And for those of you who don't know Sherry, and I don't expect anybody to know Sherry, she is a local homeschool mom who um, is very active in the community. My wife knows her and she was one of the ladies that my wife recommended that I interview for this homeschooling special, if you will. What I do know about Sherry is she's very knowledgeable about homeschooling and she's a retired Fortune 100 healthcare executive. So with that, Sherry, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I am very excited to have you on here. I've had so many people ask me about homeschooling. How do you do it? Where do you start? What resources do you use? How do you build a wealth mindset? And I thought, I need to record an episode about homeschooling. And then I got thinking, well, actually, this wasn't my idea. I can't take credit for this. My wife said, why don't you interview one of the homeschool moms? And I thought, that's a great idea. And so she put me in touch with a few people, including yourself. And you graciously agreed to come on. And I'm very thankful for that. So Sherry, why don't we just begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself so we know where you're coming from and how you got into homeschooling? So I quit my job about six months after my son was born to stay home and raise him. And the initial plan was just till he started kindergarten. And then he went to public school, one of the best of the best, Blue Ribbon. And within eight weeks, we'd had about 15 incidences. And suddenly I found myself pulling him out of public school and becoming what we, we laughingly refer to as an accidental homeschooler. <laughs> um, I, I never intended to, to do this with my life. I absolutely intended to go back to my career. So I think that's important for people listening to know, first of all, that not everyone stumbles into this on purpose. Sometimes just life happens. And uh, you alter course for you know what's best for your family and your kids. We're kind of an accidental homeschooler too. We knew about it and we liked the concept for many reasons, but we recognized, and we're in a great school area, like Orange County and South Orange County has some really good schools. But I did notice right away when my daughter started going into first grade that she was coming home. And I hate to say dumber, <laughs> I say that in quotes, but we saw very quickly within weeks that her speed at which she learned things and was able to comprehend had slowed down and she was being held back. She was actually learning things and telling us she was learning things that she was already well aware of and had learned years before. And I think that was really the, the catalyst for us to just accelerate the whole decision on whether to homeschool or not. Right. I agree. My son, through math manipulatives and a math curriculum called MyQuan, was actually multiplying and dividing before kindergarten. And then, you know, they go back to just learning numerology. They're just learning their numbers and how to count. <laughs> and then they're adding, I think, up to nine, up to 10 kindergarten. 
is about how high they go. So I agree, there's a regression that happens for some kids. Well, I was going to say that's exactly it. You know, for a lot of kids, and maybe it's half the classroom, there is a regression. You know, the, the pace of the class is the pace of probably the average student, and sometimes they have to slow it down. Well, Common Core was actually established to the lowest common denominator. Right. And I had a lot of issues with Common Core when it came out. Right. So there was a huge influx into the homeschool community, you know, 10, 12 years ago when Common Core started, just because of how it was developed without any ed psychologist involved in the development of it. And um, it wasn't, wasn't developmentally correct. And it went to the lowest common denominator. So there were some bad things about it. And then there were some good things where it gave the entire country a common standard to achieve. So if kids moved from one region of the country to another, they were doing similar things at that level in the grade. So is Common Core rolled out nationwide now? Is it really the, the core curriculum that all schools or at least public schools are using? It rolled out, but I think 12 or... I'm not sure how many states have opted out of it now. There's over 10 that have just said no. You know, They adopted it initially because their funding was attached to it. And then there was... So many, pro there were problems with it in some states. So they rolled it back and said no. So I always like to start off with some very basic questions, almost the, you know, most basic of basic and fundamental questions. And that is, what is homeschooling? I think a lot of people don't have an understanding of what it really is. I think everybody listening to this has heard of homeschooling and has probably an idea of what it might be. But let's just briefly talk about what homeschooling is. And the timing of this is pretty interesting too, because we're right in the thick of this whole coronavirus thing going on and schools pretty much around the country and even in other countries, including Canada, have effectively been closed. So now kids are at home and some of them have virtual schooling with the school and the teachers and some of them don't. And it's been thrown onto the parents to essentially guide them along or pick up where things have been left off. And I think everybody's just wondering how do I do this? So let's start with the most basic of basic things here. What is homeschooling? Well, I think if you ask different people that question, you get different answers. In my opinion, it's not just bringing public schoolwork home and following that same schedule. It's not schooling at home. It's actually customizing your child's education for what interests them, for... Uh, what fits it around your family for it's kind of a way of life more than just a curriculum that you bring home because it does have a way of invading every area of your life. You know, your friends become other homeschoolers, you field trip together, you um, sometimes we incorporate travel, family trips are sometimes built around what we're learning that year in school. So like in October, we're supposed to go to Europe to because next year we're studying world history and world art. And so I wanted to actually bring a tactical experience into that learning for uh, to make it stronger, more vivid, help them remember it better. So there's a form of lifestyle that's kind of baked into the cake. It's not just schooling as some people seem to think. And the thing with homeschooling too is there's such a broad spectrum with it. It goes from one end of the spectrum, which is school at home. So essentially, you're just duplicating what you have going on in the public school system. 
to the far end of the other side of that spectrum, which is known as unschooling, which to me is just borderline radical. It's just wide open and there's virtually no structure. <laughs> so it's such a broad spectrum. Right. It is. And um, we've tried. My son was a couple of years ahead at one point. So I did give him an opportunity to take six months and try unschooling. And in my experience, he just played a lot of video games and, you know, goofed off most of the time. And he came out of it wanting to become a video game developer. So he did gain something out of the experience. But to me, it it looked like a lot of goofing off. And I have friends though that have been very, very successful with it. You know, their kids have gone on to gain graduate degrees and become professionals and and very focused. They they spent those years very, very focused on what they wanted to become and and what they wanted to learn about. And sometimes it looks like pig trails, but you know, all those pig trails, I guess, at the culmination of their high school come together and then they make a decision about where they want to go for careers and for education. Right. So one of the best things about homeschooling is that you don't have to recreate school at home. And in fact, in most cases, you shouldn't recreate school at home. So there's this broad spectrum of ways to educate your children at home and out of the home and in any environment. Let's ask the question, why do people choose to homeschool? I think different people have different reasons, but why do you think people choose to homeschool? People choose for a variety of reasons. You know, we've been homeschooling for nine years. And in that time, we've had a huge immunization crisis in the state of California. That's pushed a huge group of people to homeschool because they don't want their kids immunized or they want, to, they want the opportunity to slow vax rather than stick to the typical schedule. The new sex education that's been rolled out in California has also caused another wave of parents to pull their kids out. Before those two political reasons happened, um, I think people primarily did it because you know they wanted to spend more time with their kids. They thought they could teach their kids better than the public school. We had a kid, at, we had two kids in kindergarten. You know, Grant was only there for eight weeks. But in that eight weeks, one kid went on anxiety medicine almost immediately. And then um, I heard later that a second child had as well. So um, just the pressure, even in kindergarten, to perform in the Orange County school system was so high that kids were already going on, on anxiety meds in kindergarten. You know, that's one thing about school homeschooling is that there's no anxiety, there's no pressure. You know, you work at your own pace. One of the things I established early on was just the decision that we're going to work to mastery. There's no grades. You're just going to get an A in everything because if you do the work and it's not to my satisfaction, it's not A-level work, you're going to redo it until it is, (laughs) you know? And so not in a harsh way, but just in a this needs a little bit more work and this is why, or this answer, this math problem isn't correct. I need you to rework it. So in that way, schooling was a lot more gentler and uh, kinder than I think public school is. Right. Yeah. With, with public school, I think you're either being pulled and dragged to keep up with everyone else, or you're being held back to slow down because 
everyone else has not been able to pick up and grasp the the material as quickly as some of the other students. So there's just this bell curve. Yeah. And I mean, grades K through two are so similar. I mean, not maturity wise, but academically, they're so similar that we've completed almost all the way from K to two in one year. And a year and a half, we were completed with all three grades. So, you know, that gave us, my son didn't skip any grades, but because he was able to quickly progress through K through two, that gave us a lot of time to play around with his education and and a lot of the education philosophies that are out there and figure out what worked for us and what didn't work for us. Because every kid is different. You know, how they learn is different. Every person's different. And the public school system can't allow for that. And I think that's one of the things that's at the core of homeschooling is that every child is different and every child is brilliant. They're smart. Every kid is a genius, but they all learn differently. Their modalities are different. The speed at which they learn is different. What they excel at, the subjects that they excel at are going to be different. Someone might be very skilled in mathematics and struggle with with science or or the arts or English and the the opposite might be true and so when you can pace them and let them learn as fast as they can in one subject because it's easy for them and then you have to help them in another subject because it just happens to be hard for them then you're able to adapt to their learning speed and style and so it's almost like custom education for the person it's almost like getting a custom pair of shoes or a suit tailored for you it's built for your body. Right, exactly. And if I could go back to your question, sorry, and answer why people homeschool, I started with the huge exceptions. But I think the reasons people homeschool are because they want to spend more time with their kids. Their kids have needs that can't be met within the public school system. That's probably the number one reason. You'll have 2E kids, kids with food allergies, kids that are being bullied. You know, all of those or, or kids that are way ahead or way behind, all of those children are not having their needs met by the, by the public school system. And that's and usually why the parents are pulling them out to homeschool them, to give them a different environment. Yeah. And, and that's almost impossible because the more students there are per classroom, the harder it is to cater to any one student in that room. Right. I heard that Santa Ana is like at 40 kids per classroom now in K through five. Wow. They're cramming them in. There's a lot of, and there's no parent support because in that part of Orange County, and you can cut the city out, but in that part of Orange County, both parents have to work, you know, so there's no parents in the classroom. You look at Irvine or some of the other cities in South County, there's a lot of the moms stay home. So there's a lot of parent support in the classrooms, you know, when they've gotten bigger. So the teacher is able to break the the groups, the kids up into smaller groups and parents work with the smaller groups, but you're not getting that kind of support in the, in the less affluent areas because parents both have to work. So there's a lot of reasons why, and I want to make a comment to people listening to this, that we could literally talk for hours, if not days about homeschooling and why It's because there is so much information and content out there about what homeschooling is, the different ways to homeschool, what to look for, what to start with, best practices, although I don't even think there are best practices because it's so broad, the myths around homeschooling, the realities, 
just the amount of content and guidance. There are books and books written on the subject. There are podcasts out there about the subject. There is a ton of information online about homeschooling if you just know the right phrases to, to type into Google or any search engine. So we could talk literally for days about this. Uh, we're not going to do that, but I just want people to understand that it's my goal here to just you know, bring you on and maybe another guest on and share some of what we've learned and experienced in terms of homeschooling because other people are interested for different reasons. And sometimes it's also related to money and finance. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. One of the myths that is seems to be pretty widespread, and I'm sure people are thinking about this, is if you homeschool your children, they're not going to be adjusted or well socialized. And I actually believe that myself in the very beginning. I thought, well, if my child is home most or all of the time, she's not around other kids and she won't be socialized. <laughs> and the reality is it's just the opposite is what was true. So what do you think about that whole thing about socialization? Well, and again, my experience is Orange County. I do stay on some national blogs. So I know there are some people that live in really tiny, tiny towns where this won't be true. But um, in Southern California, we have such a huge homeschool community, uh, specifically in Orange County. We probably have 15 campuses that have been started by homeschool moms and with all sorts of teachers teaching classes. So our kids have the opportunity to come together on a campus for one class, all their classes. That, you know, that's up to the family's education philosophy. But we also field trip together. We take trips together. We camp together. You know, we have so many opportunities. I know HSC does like four or five camping trips a year for homeschoolers in beautiful places all around California. So that's something that a public school is not able to offer because the kids have to be in the classroom, you know, 180 days a year. But we can go out and go to the beach for the day and just call some friends and say, let's go look at the tide pools and spend the day on the beach and call it marine biology for the day, you know, and physical fitness. And so that's a different, it goes back to the lifestyle thing. Our kids are definitely socialized, you know, there were years in our homeschooling experience where we were hardly ever home because we were taking so many classes and um, sports and, and different things that he was involved in. Yeah, I, I've come to learn that there is a lot of freedom and flexibility with it. And that's really what trips a lot of people up is because a guy like me that needs st some structure, I'm a very analytical and structured person. I need a framework to work within. And that exists. It's out there. In more than one version or variation of that, there are so many different ways to homeschool. But I just felt that there needed to be a lot of structure right from the get-go. But what I've come to learn is that there's no wrong way to homeschool. There's a million and a half right ways to do it. And there's really no wrong way to do it. And I hate to say this, but you do learn as you go. You do. <laughs> you do. Yeah. When you, I think you get more confident in your ability to direct your kids' education, but also you get more confident in their ability to tell you what they need and what they like and what they don't like and you know what's working, what's not working. 
So we've had to adjust his education as we've gone along based on feedback he's given me. You know, I don't, I don't like read. I don't like reading this out of a book. Why can't I just learn it from a video? Yeah. But, but that's the beautiful thing about homeschooling is, is because you have the feedback from your kid or your kids, you know how to adjust and adapt and speed up or slow down or incorporate more tools and resources or less. You've got constant ongoing feedback and you can adjust in real time, whereas in a school environment, you can't do that. And so you really create the optimum education and learning environment for the person because it's custom tailored to them. Right. And I think because of the parent-child relationship, you know, you're already super close, super bonded. Your kid is going to be more honest with you than they are with a teacher. If you give them something to do and they don't like it, they're going to tell you they don't like it. Whereas with a teacher, they're just going to do it because the teacher said they had to. So I think that we come up with a much more meaningful education. I mean, there are some times where I make him do projects that he doesn't like. Don't, don't get me wrong. But if he says it's boring, then I do have to stop and think about why am I making him do this? Is it really worthwhile? Is there another way we could do this that would be more meaningful, you know, to get to the same end? So it's or interesting. Yeah. And not that all work in life is going to be meaningful or interesting, you know, but, so I have to temper it with that. But um, so back to your, uh, your poor editor is going to have to do a lot of work. <laughs> back to the socialization question. Um, another thing I want to add. You know, within I have a field trip group. At one point, it was almost 700 families, and I've decreased it since then. But one of the things that I've learned through the years is that you know I usually hire a docent when we do tours, and they usually typically have a PhD or at least a grad, a master's degree in whatever the topic is, and so. It's interesting to watch the kids, even from five years old, interacting with subject matter experts on whatever, it, you know, if we're at a fire station or one of my favorite field trips in all of Southern California is to go do the, um, the Harbor Fire Department, the water boats. That's a really, really fun trip. If they, um, they used to let you on the boats, I think they still do. And they take you on a tour of the whole boats and explain how it works. And, and they're fabulous because they're some of the only boats in the world that are that size and that put out that much water. But just watching the kids from 5 to 18 interacting with the subject matter experts and being able to dialogue with them because, you know, when my son was 5, he loved dinosaurs. Well, he could talk to the PhDs at the Natural History Museum about dinosaurs all day long. Because he had watched documentaries since he was like three about dinosaurs, you know. So he talked their language. And the SMEs are always very um, fascinated at the homeschool kids at how well they can discourse with them, you know. Wow, you're so your kids are so attentive and they ask such interesting questions. And, you know, that's happened for years when we field trip. So... I always consistently get feedback from the docents that uh, they really enjoyed our group. They're like, please come back again, <laughs> you know, because the public school kids are just so excited to be out of school. 
that they, it's like a celebration to them. They're loud and it's like a party environment and they're talking to their friends and stuff. When our kids go on a tour, they want to hear what the docent has to say and they want to learn about whatever, you know, they understand that's part of school. They're there to learn. And the socialization thing is interesting for homeschoolers because it's not just age level peers that they're stuck with all day. They interact with very young to very old all day long from the grocery store to their classes, to our tours. And so they, um, they develop a maturity where they're able to have conversations with adults from very young. I think it's advantageous for our kids because, you know, it's going to do well for them when they go to do their college interviews and job interviews in the future. Yeah, I agree. I noticed that early on that homeschooled kids, especially the younger ones, were very mature and were able to hold what is essentially an adult level conversation with an adult. There was no child talk. They were talking as if they were peers of a similar age group. It was just amazing to see that the kids weren't actually appearing or coming across as kids. They were just small people. And it was just an eye-opening thing for me to see when you have seven and eight-year-old kids talking to 12, 13, 14-year-old kids, and they're all talking as if they were of the same age. It's amazing. So the whole socialization thing is one of the myths that I recognized early on. I was in that boat, um, but there's just so much that goes on with the homeschooling, and they, they're involved in so many activities with other homeschooled kids out of the house, and even with others that are not homeschooled that the socialization thing is just an absolute myth. It just doesn't happen. And if I may just touch on real quick, one other myth, this is not as common, but a lot of people mistakenly think that homeschooling is actually school at home, where you, as usually the mother, have to be in an, set up an environment where you're actually quote unquote teaching from the front of the quote unquote classroom and, you know, there's a whiteboard or a chalkboard and there's, you know, textbooks and you are providing instruction as if you had an instruction manual and this is what you need to teach and these are the things you need to say. And your child is sitting in a desk listening to you essentially talk like as if you're a professor at the front of the room. And it's not like that at all. I mean, there are parts that are like that when you get involved. And, and I know it's different for every parent, but it's not where you become the teacher and you're at the front of the room and you're instructing your children. It's nowhere near being that formal. So when we first started homeschooling, when I first transitioned, I put them in K-12, which is a basically a public school charter online school. And we did that for about 18 months. And we had a once a week where we met with the class and like in a classroom. And part of that was because my husband wanted to make sure he stayed on grade level and uh, was, you know, it was a new thing for us and he was unsure how this was going to work. So he wanted to make sure I had structure. And part of it was just because I didn't, I did it so fast pulling them out of school. I didn't know what to do <laughs> and they were going to provide the structure. So it helped me feel more secure also. And that was very much a school at home where I would, had to teach everything and I had to... Um, there were some video lessons, but I had to sit with him all day long. You know, it, not all day long, but for his instruction time and uh, help him along. And then after about a year of that, 
I decided, you know what, I could do this on my own. I, I'd been spending hours every day scouring the internet, reading all the blogs and listening to podcasts and reading books. And so after about a year, I figured out I can do this on my own. And I'd become confident enough to step out and take the reins, you know? So then it changed into, I I had decided there's a lot of education philosophies out there, but I had decided to um, move to more a literature based curriculum. I, I found some different resources to use so that it shifted to more of us reading together to learn the content. And we would sit on the couch and cuddle and read, you know, because he was first grade. He was six. And that became a much lower stress, comfortable way to educate him. And we did math online. We did it together back then still. But resources in the last 10 years have changed so much for homeschooling. For a brand new homeschooler now, there are resources where you don't have to do anything. You don't have to teach if you don't want to. And you can teach everything if you want to. So it's really up to the comfort level of the parent now. So that's a good segue to kind of the how-to questions that I have. What I, you know, what I'll just chunk into the process of it. Again, let's start from the beginning here. Someone who's wanting to start, regardless of whether it's a preschooler or someone who's maybe already in fourth grade or wherever they may be, how do they get started? Where would you recommend parents start this journey? into homeschooling? They're in an emergency situation and they need to pull their kid right now from school and start homeschooling tomorrow. My recommendations would be either Time for Learning or Power Homeschool. They both cost about $25 a month. They teach all six core classes, four core classes, plus a couple electives. And their child on that, and the child can be pretty independent on those programs. And that frees the parent up to start doing some research so that they can figure out their education philosophy, figure out their child's learning, I I think of the word, learning style, so they can figure out their child's learning style and their teaching style as a parent. There's there's a few things you need to figure out before you get started. And I say that kind of with a caveat that through the years that I've been homeschooling, I've tried almost every philosophy. So I started with literature based that, well, I started in a charter and then we moved to literature based and we did that successfully for probably five years. And then um, more recently as these, then middle school, we moved to textbook based And then um, high school, he's pretty much online for everything. So once you've figured out your philosophy, your child's learning style, and your teaching style, then typically what you should do is look at some curriculum lists and try and find a curriculum that matches those. Kathy Duffy's got a really easy like top 100 homeschool curriculum lists that you can browse through. and And it does have it sorted by those elements. So that's an easy way to do it. You might like in middle school, high school, I no, sorry, not middle school, but high school, I decided to go back to public school curriculum. I for, for science. 
So I use Holt Macmillan for all of our science rather than a homeschool curriculum. That was a personal choice for math. He's also working through some pre-common core math books for upper level and that I get off of Amazon. So that was a decision I personally made because I didn't want him doing common core math. But that's up to the individual family. Uh, we also, we typically do three math curriculums a year, three or four, because my son is in the 99.9 plus percentile for math. And you can edit that out. My son is very math. How do I say it? How do I phrase it? Math is really my son's strength. And so we do typically do three to four math curriculums in a year on the same topic, just to make sure he really knows geometry. He really knows algebra too. And because his speed is faster than most kids in math. Yeah. Everyone has different strengths. And and I think another thing I'd like to add to the, uh, you know, where do you start? I think if you look for local homeschoolers and homeschooling groups online, whatever city or county you're in, I think you will find probably a lot of other homeschool groups that you can associate with, network with, talk to, join. A lot of them, I know a lot of them have Facebook groups and so they communicate and share resources and and ask and answer questions online just from within that Facebook group. So it's not necessarily even a physical get together oftentimes. And even local activities, there's a lot of local activities. Uh, For example, Angelina, my daughter, is involved in a local Girl Scout group. And so she's very active with that. And it's made up of other homeschool moms and kids. And so you know, it's just great for them to get together and, and go through these different activities and, and um, adventures together, which just helps to educate them and helps with their socialization and, you know, their interpersonal skills and all that good stuff. It really does. And one year I had a, one year I created a co-op of a group of friends and we did uh, the science of Shakespeare together. We hired a drama teacher who taught the material. There's like, 12 or 14 different sciences in, within Shakespeare. And so he covered a different one every month. And so we would build a, we built themes around that. We hired an art teacher to also teach. We did uh, Lego League in the afternoons. And, we, and then we field tripped several times a month based on whatever the science was that month. So if it was astronomy, we'd go visit, you know, the Griffith Observatory and other uh, the Columbia Space Center, things like that. Yeah. So you mentioned curriculum a number of times, and this was actually one of the questions that I had literally written down to ask you, and and that is this. Do you need a curriculum? And if so, how do you go about choosing a curriculum? You've partly answered this question, actually, but might as well bring it up. You do not necessarily need a curriculum. You can... A lot of homeschoolers just read literature and nonfiction and fiction both and use that as their curriculum. They'll just pick a theme for the for the month or the year and follow it along. Some of my favorite curriculum when Grant was in K through five was literature based. There's some really good companies out there that offer literature based curriculum packages that are already made for you. So um Bookshark is one Beautiful Feet is what we used. I had a list and I've lost it somewhere. (laughs) 
Sorry, I'm, I thought I brought it with me. So I, you mentioned a lady before that has 99 curriculums, and, and I've looked years ago, I did an Kathy online Duffy. search. Right. And what's her name? Kathy Duffy? Kathy Duffy, yeah. So I did a search years ago looking for curriculums, and there are so many different curriculums put out by so many different people from so many different walks of life. I mean, literally, it's from homeschool moms that have put together their own curriculum to organizations, you know, under their institutions under, you know, a .org banner that have put together curriculums to as far as Ron Paul, you know, who was in politics, you know, I forgot if he was a senator. I think he was a senator. Yeah, Senator Ron Paul. I mean, even he's got his own curriculum, uh, which is K through 12. And it also has a lot of great libertarian and financial stuff baked into it. Much of it is free. I think K through six is free, and then it's a nominal cost for anything above that. So again, there's no wrong or right curriculum. It's just, you know, what resonates well with you and your kids. And you can slice and dice. You can take a part of one curriculum and just add it to another curriculum and say, okay, this is what we're learning this year. You know, it's going to be this in math, this in English, this in literature, and whatever else. And 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 you, you just you just build your own curriculum. It's that simple. I think if I had any advice on curriculum, it would be don't spend eight hundred dollars on an all-in-one package your first year, because <laughs> there's a there's a lot of inexpensive curriculum out there that or free that's just as good. So. I spent a lot of money on curriculum in K through two because I was kind of, I was scared that I wasn't going to cover everything, you know, that he was going to somehow end up behind. And I read Facebook is your friend. You know, I, there's every curriculum has its own Facebook group and every region that you live in across the country has its own Facebook group. Usually your homeschool association for the state will have its own Facebook group. So you should join those and just do a lot of reading. That's what I did. I just spent hours on Facebook. The first, you know, I still am on Facebook all the time because our whole community is on there. So I have a question about curriculum here. Maybe there's no answer to this question because the answer is it depends. But how do you know if you have enough, too much or too little in the curriculum that you've put together? Is that based on how your kids' capacity, how fast they learn the subject matter? Or is it just you as an adult determining that this is what they should know or something else? It's going to depend. I mean, in K through five, I spent a lot of time with the what your first grader should know, what your second grader should know, those books, using them kind of as an outline to make sure that I was hitting everything that would be expected by grade level. And California still had state standards back there back then. It was before Common Core. So I would follow, you know, I would loosely look at the state standards and determine are we ahead? Are we behind? Where do I need to work? I also, there are tests you can take, diagnostic tests, especially K through five. I recommend the, it's a company called Let's Go Learn. They have a Dora Doma test that costs about $25 to take. And we would take it at like beginning of the year, mid-year, and at the end of the year, the first when he was like kindergarten to second grade, just to see how he was tracking with state standards, you know, to make sure I was keep, keeping him on par. And then an interesting thing I had, I paid a lot of money to have his um, 
Not IQ, but the other one. Emotional quotient? No. It's something that an ed psychologist does that it's not aptitude. It's It starts with an A. And then I, I paid a lot of money to have um, the ed psychologist do a test to see like what grade level he was on. And the interesting thing for me was that the Dora Doma results that cost me $25 were exactly the same. And the great thing about Dora Doma is it tells you exactly where the hole is. So like if your kid is having a problem with the diphthong TH, like in spelling, it tells you that is the issue that the student is having. And that's why they missed the score on the test. And so that you come back with a list of actual problems and holes in your child's education, and then you can go back and fill those. So that's, that's why I recommend Dora Doma, just because it pinpoints exactly um, in the math or the reading and grammar what the child is not understanding. I think it's probably becoming clear to people listening to this that any one thing that we've talked about, you could go pretty deep on. I mean, you or I or anyone else for that matter that's looking into homeschooling. And that's not necessary. And that shouldn't be a cause for fear or cause for people's eyes to glaze over because you don't want to get lost in all the minutiae. You just have to start somewhere and put something together and just allow your children or your kids to start learning. And you will learn yourself as you go and you will gain more knowledge and experience and this stuff just will start to unfold because you're going to be associating with other homeschool parents and the 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 number of guides and resources available online are almost overwhelming but you'll never get to that point because you're not going to allow yourself to get to that to that point so i think it's just important to just put a stake in the ground and just say okay we're starting here. This is what we're going to use. It could be a curriculum. It could be just, you know, books that you read together, whatever it may be, but it's just a good place to start. And that's really the, the how, if you will. I have a question about inspiration. Is there a need to inspire your kids to learn to love learning? Or are there ways to just inspire kids to gain an, a love and an appreciation for learning? I think. It depends on at what age you start homeschooling. Because if you start immediately, like if they never go to school and you just continue from, you know, doing, playing with them at home as preschoolers into homeschooling, then I think their natural wonder and desire to learn just carries on. It's never thwarted. It's never curtailed. You know, they're never told, wait a minute, <laughs> let Susie answer this question instead of you. You know, they just, it's a natural progression. I think if you pull your child out later and they've learned to get in line and be quiet and, you know, follow the classroom rules, I think a lot of the natural curiosity by third or fourth grade has actually been removed from the child. And so then, then it's a process of having to put that back into them. How do you rekindle it? And for me, when, you know, Grant was only in school for eight weeks, when we pulled him out, he already was, had lost some of that a little bit. And for me, it was um, infusing fun back into learning. So 
that's kind of how we got into the field trip process of learning. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of field tripping. When he was young, we would leave the house at least three times a week, sometimes five, because school literally only took an hour to an hour and a half in kindergarten, first grade. So, and we didn't necessarily use textbooks every day. And we had some really bad experiences happen at the beginning of the year with a sports team and a homeschool group we were part of. And my son got kind of depressed, you know? And so even in that situation, even after homeschooling for years, I had to go back to that philosophy of how do I infuse fun back into to learning and put safe people around him and, and help reignite him again. Yeah. You, you can make learning fun. And I think one of the problems with school is that as the years go by, it becomes more and more about memorization and your natural curiosity starts to die early on. And you get to a point where you don't have a lot of curiosity and you're not as inquisitive or imaginative. Uh, and, and really, that's one of the most important skills to keep and develop is imagination. So if you don't have curiosity and imagination, you're really killing, I think, a lot of your inner being, your personality, like the just parts of your mind that really should be massaged and grown and allowed to expand. So that's one of the great benefits of homeschooling. Now, I have a question here from someone who actually emailed me, and I'm not sure I fully understand the question. I'm going to read it to you, and I'm hoping we can both answer it. She says, uh, what ways could we offer real life opportunities or involve the kids in what we are doing that brings it down to their level so they feel practically equipped, motivated, and inspired to take the tools we have given them and run with it? I assume she's meaning tools as in like educational tools. Does that make sense to you? Well, she said incorporating them into what we're doing. So is she talking like that? I'm not sure. Something that the family is doing as a... I think it's just involving them in, in regardless of what is being done, just to provide real life opportunities and just involve the kids. The goal being, you know, so they feel equipped, motivated, and inspired. I, I think that probably just comes with homeschooling naturally, because when, you're, when they're involved in the educational process and, and going out and experiencing the world together and playing games, reading books together, whatever it is, all that stuff is, is an involvement. And so if you bring that all together, I, th I think it just naturally equips and motivates them. Yeah, I think so too. I, one thing that came to mind was, you know, we've had a lot of uh, anti-homeschool, anti-parent legislation in the last few years in California. And um, there's been a lot of rallies in San Sacramento. And so we actually, I actually took Grant with me to Sacramento twice in the last two years. And um, he's been part of the process of going with me and knocking on representative stores, office doors, opening the door, going in and talking to the staff and setting up meetings and sitting down. And the kid, we've done it with a couple friends and the kids have actually sat and talked to the representatives and told them, you know, this is why you need to vote no on this bill because it impacts me this way. And I think that process of involving the kids, even in learning about our legislature, you know, they had a, a front row seat in how it works and how it doesn't work. And 
it was a good experience for him to, he actually got to testify in the hearing, you know, that's something you probably don't get to do in public school to go and actually see our capital working on a day to the point we've been there so much to the point he knows his way around the capital. Now I get lost <laughs> and he'll be like, no mom, it's this way. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So just to kind of start bringing this home, you know, this is a show where a lot of people who listen, you know, are interested in finance, investing, personal development, you know, creating wealth and passive income. It's, you know, it's a lot to do with money and investing. Do you or have you involved Grant in financial education, uh, learning about money or investing? And if so, what have you, a few examples of what you've done? How are you educating Grant um, when it comes to money and finance? Yeah, sure. Um, so my husband and I both have MBAs. We're both finance professionals. So it definitely was something on our list of things that we wanted him to learn young and to incorporate into his life. In grade school, there's a great curriculum. It's a Charlotte Mason-based curriculum called How to Run a Pet Store. (laughs) And I, I think one's a sports store, but it was math and it's just basic arithmetic, but it takes them through the whole kind of bookkeeping, ordering inventory, writing your checks, paying your bills. You know, you can't go negative. You have to stay in the positive. So that was a really fun thing to do in grade school. And middle schoolers can do it too. It's just an arithmetic-based curriculum. So you can actually do it at any age. But we chose to do it in grade school once he was strong in arithmetic. In middle school, we did just bought like a consumer math workbook off Amazon and worked through it. And then he's also a Boy Scout. So um, one of the things they have to do to, to become an Eagle Scout is to earn the personal management merit badge. And <clears throat> that has, it's got some really good requirements in it, but I don't, it doesn't go quite far enough. So I found a class at Junior Achievement that incorporated the merit badge and they had finance professionals come in at three different weekends in San Diego. And we had, you know, we drove down and he would spend the whole day with these finance professionals. And the third day was kind of a capstone. It was really cool. They did an all day simulator with iPads and they had to like walk around and uh, they had to do their, they got a fake family at randomly. They had a, they had a career assigned. And so they would get their salary and then they had to walk around and figure out what kind of transportation they were going to own or were they going to take public transportation? Were they going to rent or were they going to buy a house? And they do their banking and their investing. And, you know, they taught him how to do all of it on the simulator. And he, <clears throat> he came out of it and he was just like, mom, that was so much fun. He's like, can we do that again? <laughs> One of the things he's done on his own since then, he loved that simulator so much that he started looking for simulator games on his iPad. And so he's played like 15 of them. You know, he, he just kept downloading them and playing them. And what was really interesting after he played a couple of them, he came to me and he said, Mom, I know how to get wealthy now. I said, you do? Huh? He, he said, yes. He said, you have to own real estate. <laughs> rental pro- you have to own rental properties. <laughs> he's like, that's the only way to get wealthy. <laughs> so, that's awesome. That was, had was a, like, how old was he? He was 13. Okay. Barely 13 last spring when he did it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, and I've been thinking for several years about 
just the the economy in Southern California and how much it costs for rent and to own a house here as he becomes a young adult, you know, it's almost impossible to buy in this economy um, unless you have some wealth already established because, or you get a career that pays a lot of money. You know, those are your two options if you're ever going to own in Southern California at this point and, or inherit, I guess. So I started doing a lot of research into, well, my plan had always been for him to graduate high school at 14 because I, I figured we were so far ahead that that seemed to be about where we would hit. And so then I was like, what are we going to do with those four extra years? And in the research I did, I found a lot of really interesting things. But one of them was, you know, if you can plan out, if you can dual enroll high school so that you're also getting college credit and do it inexpensively by using ACE credit or CLEP exams or some of the other vehicles that are, that are available now, you can get a bachelor's degree for under $10,000. And then once you have that bachelor's degree, you have access to your 529 account because you can say, I'm no longer going to use this for education. I don't need it. And then there's laws that say, well, if you don't need it for education, you can either invest it in a business or buy a house with it. So that's what I'm hoping, point I'm hoping to get Grant to is through using some of the more inexpensive... You, know, you can also in California go to community college free for ages K through 12 and, or grades K through 12. And then get, you know, get half your degree free and then only pay for your junior and senior year if you want to go to a Cal State or a UC. So there are some ways to mitigate the cost and then have access to the, what's left in your 529 to do more interesting things with, like buy rental properties and build passive income. That's an interesting plan. A neat little twist on using the system. You know, we're also exploring potential business ideas too on things that we could do with this next four years where because he is moving into college level classes he doesn't have to take a full load at college he just when you take a college class it comes back to your high school diploma as two times the credit amount so one semester is equal to a year so he really only has to take two to three college classes a semester in order to maintain a full high school transcript load, right? And, and honestly, he's already halfway through high school. So I probably could have him well through his junior year with the credits he has right now. So he doesn't even have to take it. My son doesn't even have to take that heavy of a college load in order to still finish by 18. But in that extra time that he has, you know, what are some business ideas that we could pursue? He's taken two years of shops, so he, he can do woodworking and welding. He was a competitive, uh, you know, an internationally competitive sailor, so he can actually teach sailing during the summer if he wants to. He he could tutor math. You know, there's there's things even at age where we could start an LLC for him, and he could start earning some money even from home. You know, a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, and and I think you know, with in California, we think oh, they can't work till they're sixteen. They can't, um, most places won't hire actually till they're 18 and they have a diploma. But as a homeschooler, you've got control of your work permit. You sign it. You're not reliant on a 
principle, getting permission from someone else to sign a work permit and say, my kid can work, <laughs> you know? So, so that's another thing that makes homeschooling so attractive is your, your, your kid can go work in Hollywood. They can tutor, you know, you can think outside the box about how do, we could start an online business. So in that vein, do you have recommendations on how to help develop your kid's wealth mindset? I mean, you've, you've, you're already doing some of those things by involving them in business and giving them some financial education, but is there something more that can be done you know, to help develop a wealth mindset? I honestly believe that allowing them to manage their own money at a younger age than 18 is important. And you know, I'm coming from my own personal background where when I got out on my own, I definitely went into debt because no one had sat me down and actually talked to me about money, right? And we've talked to Grant about money his whole life. So uh, one of the things we did when, you know, when he was born, we opened a checking and a savings account for him and his 529 account. And then when he got like 10, 11 years old, I thought, you know, that was really, that's great that we did that. You know, all his birthday money and Christmas money and stuff went in there, but he didn't actually experience it. So I did a lot of research and I found a bank that would let him have, you know, a free checking and a free savings account. So I took him across the street and we actually sat down with the banker and he had to open his own checking and his own savings account. And it was a new branch. So it was interesting. The banker spent like two hours with him explaining how everything worked. And I think she was really excited to have a kid come in too. And, uh, she taught him how to use his ATM card and took him over and showed him how to talk to the tellers and how to make his first deposit. And, you know, she did that whole process with him. So one of the things in his Boy Scout merit badge was that we had to pay him an allowance every week. And then he had to spend something every week and he had to keep track of it for 13 weeks. So he had this inflow and this outflow. So it was kind of like he was learning how to manage a real checking account. And yeah, I, I think the practical experience was very important. So I would literally walk him across the street to the bank or drive him <laughs> and um, make him go in and talk to the tellers and make the deposit. And then when he needed money to um, pay me back, like we would order things on Amazon that he had to order, you know, when he had to buy something every week, he'd go on Amazon and he'd pick a game or something that he wanted or a book and he'd buy it. and his debit card got attached to his Amazon account. So that's another thing. He has his own Amazon account. He has his own Audible account. You know, basically because I didn't want his recommendations mixed with mine. So he's had that since he was born. <laughs> I, you know, I, I started those accounts for him. But now they're his. You know, and um, he's welcome to... He knows like how much he can spend and how much he can't, and, and he manages that. I really wanted to get him a credit card when he turned 13, and they've changed the consumer laws now. And so he's not allowed to have one until he's 18, not even with me on the account, which kind of bummed me out because we are big proponents of charging everything and then paying it off at the end of the month you know, before the interest hits so that we get the advantage of the points or the money back. And... He's not allowed to do that until he's 18. But I really think that kids need to learn how to manage their money while they're at home, supervised. And really, debt needs to be explained too, which the, you know, the, the credit card law really 
kind of upsets me <laughs> because I, I wanted him to have credit so that he could use it and learn how to use it responsibly while at home so that when he gets out, you know, at college and he can charge everything, he knows his limits and knows not to do that, you know. But he does have a debit card and he never uses it. He's he's like a little Scrooge. <laughs> he gets his money and he puts it in the bank. And, he, and, and the other thing we did, um, his first checking and savings account were rolled into an investment account, which is under my name. And so we are starting to teach him how to uh, invest on the stock market too. I don't know if you do this, but I think a really big thing, it's a little thing with huge impact. And that is to talk about money and finance and investing and anything related to wealth at the dinner table or anytime you're sitting together at a table as a family, whether it's at Starbucks for a coffee or dinner in the evening or lunch or breakfast, just to have those conversations whenever you know it's appropriate. It doesn't have to be every day, but just having them listen in on those conversations. And then at some point, having them involved in those conversations. Uh, I think that goes a long way in educating them and helping them to build a mindset because they're just learning through osmosis. They're just learning these concepts and the terminology just from the, the conversation that's going on. Do you do much of that? We do. In fact, it's funny. He um, Power Homeschool has a high school level personal finance class, which he took this year. And he will listen to Pat and I have conversations about money at the dinner table and he will interrupt us and say, you're doing that. That's bad. And he'll tell us why. <laughs> and I mean, sometimes he's right. But we had, especially the per a lot of the personal finance classes that are out there will teach you not to use debt at all. And so, you know, I've already told you our kind of credit philosophy or debt philosophy. And, um, we were having a conversation at the dinner table and he jumped in and said, he was just like, you shouldn't do that. You should be paying it off immediately. <laughs> uh, there are cons to teaching your kids about money too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess if you're wrong and they're correcting you, I guess that's a con. <laughs> <laughs> right. But take it as a lesson. <laughs> right. No, it was good. It was a good conversation about, you're right, in normal circumstances, it would be bad. Well, in the worst case scenarios, it opens up a discussion. It opens up a conversation for you guys to you know, what is good and bad, right and wrong, and learn from each other. Right. And he was right. I mean, debt is not something you should be carrying. If you can afford to live that way, you should, well, no one should be carrying debt. But it took him a while. Apparently, his finance class had not discussed like credit cards that come with benefits. So then we had to have that conversation. That you're right. But you know, our credit card, we get like, a, you know, all those hotel nights we enjoy for free. <laughs> you know, back to us from incurring the debt and leaving it on the credit card. We pay it off every month. But Yeah, for sure. So let's kind of wrap this up with just a question about resources. What resources would you suggest or recommend online or otherwise that would be good tools for parents and their kids as far as homeschooling and education and that could include financial education, but whatever you want to recommend or suggest. And it, and it, could, be, it could be generic. It doesn't have to be specific websites. So um, my first suggestion would be get on Facebook and uh, find your local community. Find a field trip group in your area. 
join if you've figured out some curriculum that you think would work for your family then join their facebook group and read up on it do some research even if you're in grade school about how to high school with college so that you're looking ahead and um thinking of you know looking at your state laws and how you can incorporate community college in or clep exams ace credit you know there's a lot of different there's a lot of free tools out there right now coursera edx sophia.org khan academy all of those are free resources that can help accelerate the the high school experience so that your child's time is freed up and they can think more about their career, their future, what they want to build. Because they should, I think, be building something that's their own, that is going to help them be financially independent and hopefully not just doing a 15-hour job, you know, 15-hour job for life. Is there a strongly recommended book or a couple of books for parents that want to homeschool? You know, I didn't read a lot of books, honestly, when I started homeschooling. Uh, Project-based learning was one that I remember. And I used a lot of the What Your Kindergartner Should Know, you know, that series of books every year to kind of plan out, to sketch out kind of a loose schedule of what I wanted to make sure we heard if we hadn't already learned it. But for the most part, I use book and just some blogs. And those blogs are, you know, were primarily like first grade, second grade blogs when I started. So they're not ones that um, I'm using anymore. I, th- I think the most important thing to keep in mind when you start homeschooling is that you are going to change something at least every semester. You know, you're going to, if you sit down and reflect on where you're at, where you want to go, you're going to find problems in what you're currently using or, you know, in your schedule, how you're doing things. The, the most important thing, I think, as a homeschooler is to be flexible. Right. And to recognize that you need to change something and to know that it's okay. I think that's what I wish someone had told me at the very beginning <laughs> is just that um, it's okay to change things. You know, you try it, it doesn't work for you and your family, that's okay. You just tweak it to something new and keep trying until you find a rhythm. You know, it took us probably two or three years to really get into a pattern where I felt comfortable and stable. And even now, we're heading into our 10th year of homeschooling, I still tweak things. So, but now I'm really comfortable with it. I'm like, okay, within a couple weeks now, I can go, okay, that's not working. (laughs) Let's do something different here. Yeah. The flexibility is one of the advantages of homeschooling. So you can experiment and adapt and improve as you go. So that's great. Sherry, this has been great. I know there's just so much we didn't talk about, but this is a great, great overview and we've covered a lot of different areas and and topics. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Something maybe I didn't ask you that you wanted to make sure you mentioned before we wrap up? No, I think we talked about it previously, but just really briefly, you know, another great thing that you can do with homeschooling is you can have a capstone project for the year. And like I have a friend who every year has made her daughter write a book since like third or fourth grade. And um, that year, 
they were learning about mythology. So she made these little toothpick marshmallow constellations and they took pictures of them and then they told which God it tied to, you know, Roman and Greek God it tied to. And, and she wrote a little book and it's got colorful pictures in it. And they've done that every year. She's a ninth grader now. And they've also done poetry workshops to go along with it so that she can do book signings and get other people to see her books and stuff. And so there's a lot of creativity you can put into homeschooling that I think can, can help your child in the future. Because the girl that does that, I don't want to say names on the, on the podcast, but um, she's very poised now because she's used to being in front of people. She's used to leading these poetry workshops and talking about herself and her book. And so her mom was very intentional in how she developed that educational process for her daughter. Uh, you know, she thought about the future. Where do I want her to be? What do I want her to accomplish? And um, how do I make her stand out on a college application? I mean, even in third grade, you know, thinking about ahead like that. So I really think you've got a lot of opportunity for creativity and thinking about your kid specifically. What are their strengths? What can we do with those strengths? How can we monetize it? How can we create opportunities for them with it? I think that really is what takes homeschooling from just being school into like world-class education. I agree. There's, you can make your child or children so much more of who they are and really help them become the person that they want to be and were meant to be and just help them grow and flourish. Uh, and, and not only can you help them get there, but you can help them get there much faster than they would have, I think, going through more traditional school you know, means of education. So it's really a great thing. I agree. And you know, we've heard repeatedly from colleges that our kids come in more poised, more curious, more interested in the process. And I think that's because we structure their education for them. Yes. I think that says a lot. That's great. Well, Sherry, I really want to thank you for taking all this time to share your experience and, you know, your comments and feedback and and knowledge with us about homeschooling and how we could use it to really help educate our kids and give them a success mindset, a wealth mindset and just be able to be such a, you know, powerful individual in society and just come out much further ahead than I think a lot of people do when they just go to, you know, traditional school and public school. So I really want to thank you for your time. It's been great. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Again, I hope this episode gave you a good introduction, some new perspective, and answered some of your questions. There is a lot of good free information out there, both online and off. So I encourage you to look into it more. To help you get started, here are just some a few resources that we've used and some others that are worth checking out. This is by no means an exhaustive, complete, or thorough list. This is just some of the stuff that I know of, some of the stuff that we've used, and some of the stuff that I have looked into and maybe not have used or at least not used yet. But believe me, there are a lot of resources out there, both online and off. So let me just quickly go through this list that I wrote down here for myself to pass on to you, and we'll put these in the show notes. 
So first, as far as online resources, one great website that is very thorough, everything from A through Z is thehomeschoolmom.com, thehomeschoolmom.com. And there you're going to find everything from homeschooling 101 to resources, to reviews, to curriculums, to non-curriculums, and anything and everything in between. There are other websites like this one out there, but I just happen to like this one because it is well-organized and very thorough. One of the websites that we used early on with my daughter is timeforlearning.com. That's the number for timeforlearning.com. And it is a little more cartoonish in, in a way, very colorful and enjoyable. And I think it's better for children, especially in the early elementary grade levels. So um, there's still a lot of information and courses and lessons on there that we never used, but we really started there. And that was first grade. And I don't remember when we stopped using it because we ultimately migrated to other tools, more offline books. And a lot of these books came from Amazon, of course, but there are also booksellers online that sell books and resources specifically for homeschoolers. But from Time for Learning, we migrated to Khan Academy. And for those of you not familiar with Khan, it's K-H-A-N. Uh, it was created by Saul Khan. Interesting backstory there. And I suggest you just listen to his story on YouTube about how Khan Academy was started. It was really for his, I believe his niece. And he was doing videos for her and people were starting to watch the videos and requesting more. And that's how Khan Academy was born. And ultimately, it's grown to this behemoth of a website with tons and tons of content. And it's all great. And it's free. And it was funded by, um, co-funded by Bill Gates. He got, to, he got to find out about it and loved it so much that he thought he should help fund that as an informational educational tool. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he put $40 million into it. So KhanAcademy.com is a great educational aid. Powerhomeschool.org is another great website full of information, resources, lessons, curriculums that you can follow if you want that kind of structure. And uh, another great website is Allison.com, A-L-I-S-O-N, Allison.com. So those are some great resources that can help in your child's education, even if they're a teen or a young adult, uh, because a lot of this stuff goes right through 12th grade. Now, on the financial side, by the way, there are some financial resources on all of those websites from personal finance to basic economics. They don't go into a lot of great depth, but it's a great start. But there are three websites that I like from an economic and financial perspective. One company, I, I don't know if they're a company, but an organization, they're called the Council for Economic Education. And they have two websites and they have a ton of content. They post it on YouTube, but they also have it on their websites, which is Council for Econ Ed. And that's just short for economic education. So Council, F-O-R, econed.org. And they also have a sister website that shares some of the content called econedlink.org. And that's just short for economiceducationlink.org. And again, these are in the show notes. So those two sites are for the Council for Economic Education. They produce really well-polished, great short videos. Their videos cover everything from monetary policy through currency to 
supply and demand. I mean, they're just great. Another website for um, that has videos for a fee, a small fee, is uh, udemy.com. I think many of you have probably heard of this website. It's just U-D-E-M-Y, udemy.com. There is free content there as well, but a lot of the videos and lessons are nominal in cost, anywhere from $10 and, and up. Uh, and then there's another website uh, that I'm looking into more so now. It's Coursera.com. It's the word course with R-A at the end. So Coursera.com, another great resource. There are so many others, but these are just excellent starting points. And this can make a significant portion of your overall content and curriculum. But you do, you do need to supplement this with some other stuff. So those are online resources. Now, what about books? Books is another category of resources that I find to be incredibly broad and deep and rich. Now, from a financial perspective and to help develop children's wealth mindset, abundance mindset, what I suggest you do as a parent or parents, ideally both spouses, read the book Rich Dad, Rich Kids. And the reason I suggest that, and this is different than Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the reason I suggest you read this is because it is going to create the mindset, preparation, and overall framework for you as a parent to talk to and educate your children about financial education. So if you're not sure where to start or you're not sure what to do, I suggest and recommend my friend Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Rich Kids, as the starting point. Then from there, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad if you haven't already. And if you have, I suggest you reread it again. And uh, there is a new updated slash expanded version of the book that is out. So if you have an old, not outdated, but an older version of that book, you may want to just invest the $10 or whatever it is for the new version of the book, the expanded and updated So when you go to Amazon, just make sure it's got that label or seal on the book. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is also a book that you can read to your children or with them or have them read it chapter by chapter and then discuss it together. Uh, You can also have them read a chapter at a time and then have them tell you what they read and what they understood from that chapter or and or you can have them write a quote unquote quote book report. You could do it on a chapter by chapter basis, or you can just have them finish the book and then write a book review and summarize the book back to you. That is a great way for them to internalize and understand the content. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I find to be a cornerstone book for not only your education, but theirs. It's it 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 helps you with your mindset, but it also gives you some very foundational principles. Along with books are audiobooks, and there are hundreds of books available online. I use Audible, put the link in the show notes, Uh, but Audible has virtually every book that you would want available in audio form. So if you want to consume and digest books in the form of audio, then go for it. I like audiobooks just because it's convenient, um, but I find that I comprehend, especially when it comes to numbers, data, detail, and analysis, I comprehend far better with a paper book than I do with an audio book. 
And then, of course, magazines and newspapers, you know, maybe pull out the Wall Street Journal from time to time or pull out a magazine such as Inc. or Forbes or Fortune and just, you know, thumb through it with your children or your kids. Of course, their age is going to determine what you show them and how deep you go into it. But Amazon, to me, is, is your best friend. Um, there are millions of books on Amazon and you can look up anything about any topic for any age and you can preview it online and you can order it and you can go through it together or you can just make it part of your curriculum and just say, here, these are the books you're going to read this month or this week. And that just becomes part of your homeschooling. So between the online resources and the books, you've pretty much got everything covered. Now, I'm going to take this further and talk about a couple of other categories. Games. Uh, there are lots of toys and games out there depending on your children's age. Um, but the big ones for me were early on, believe it or not, my daughter loved Monopoly and still loves playing Monopoly to this day. I'm not exactly sure why, but she happens to like the competitiveness of it. But we, we did play cash flow for kids early on, which is a very watered down, basic way to introduce children to income and expenses, assets and liabilities. So that's cash flow for kids. But the real game is Cash Flow 101. That's the original board game of Cash Flow. And that is a fantastic education tool because it's fun, you're engaged, it's participatory. And I suggest Cash Flow 101. And then if you want to take it one step further, there's Cash Flow 201, which gets into the paper assets of investing as opposed to the hard assets of investing. So you can go through this progression of playing games and toys that are related to the stock market or investing or money in any way uh, you can find it. Um, but then you can play cash flow for kids, migrate to cash flow 101, and then if you want, go to cash flow 201. Video and TV is also a good tool. And I don't mean watching you know, reruns of The Simpsons. I'm talking about using your television to play documentaries, documentaries on history, uh, documentaries on economics, and uh, whatever it may be. There are a lot of documentaries out there. And whether it's on Netflix or the History Channel or the Learning Channel or the Discovery Channel or uh, National Geographic, these are all outstanding channels or networks available to provide educational content. I mean, there's tons of it out there. Two of my favorite shows on regular television are Shark Tank and The Profit. I think they go far beyond being a reality show in the sense that they are educational. And um, there is always something to be learned from those two weekly shows on CNBC. Shark Tank's been running, I believe, for over 10 years. And it is entertaining to watch, but you always walk away having learned something from a business slash entrepreneurial perspective. So I think anybody of any age can learn from watching Shark Tank and The Profit. And then, of course, there are miscellaneous movies and videos. Also, don't discount YouTube. This YouTube has a ton of great content. Now, you have to be careful. There is probably two tons of terrible, useless garbage on YouTube versus every ton of great educational content. But if you spend the time to find the channels on YouTube that produce good content, then you will find all kinds of resources that you can share and learn from, not just for yourself, but for your kids. And the Council for Economic Education that I talked about a few minutes ago is an example 
of a channel on YouTube that has that stuff. Another channel on YouTube that I thoroughly enjoy and I think they do a standing job on is Prager U, and that's the letter U as in the university. So Prager is P-R-A-G-E-R. So Prager U. You could probably do a search on YouTube for Prager University and it'll be uh, one of the first ones that pop up. So that is also another great resource and you can just chunk it by year, by month, however you want to do it. And then just wrapping this up, there are hands-on items like Mel, M-E-L Science. Mel Science has a lot of kits that you subscribe. They ship one or two every month, however many you want. But these are like hands-on projects where you actually get to roll up your sleeves and do stuff, whether it's by your kids by themselves or whether you do it with them. And these are all like science experiments, things where it's like being in a lab. You have all kinds of different experiments that you could do in the house or outside the house, depending on what it, what it is. They're like project kits. And there's other companies that do this too. I just don't remember who they are. But MEL, Mel Science, if you Google that, you'll find it. I'll put the link in the show notes. And then, of course, you know, other project kits that you can buy, whether at a hobby store or on Amazon, you know, that involve lenses, prisms, magnetism, creating a, a, you know, a little electrical generator or whatever it may be. You obviously pick and choose based on your kid's age. Last but not least, outside, um, this is actually a big category. There are so many different learning centers, depending on where you live, the size of the city or county, but there are a lot of learning centers that you can go to. Getting museum memberships, there are museums all over the country. You can go visit a museum and make it an educational outing. Sometimes you'll go more than one day because the museums are so big. Or you just end up getting a membership and they change the exhibits and what they have going on in the museum. So you might go there multiple times throughout the year and make that like a field trip. You can also plan your own field trips to wherever that may be, be it a musical or a play, kind of like what I'm involved in um, with um, these Broadway productions, uh, which I think you probably have seen on the website or in our weekly newsletter. So if you're curious about that or you have an interest in participating in those with me, uh, reach out to me and let me know because we have seven Broadway musicals on the slate that are coming up and coming out later this year. But we try to go to plays and musicals here in Southern California at various venues. And so my wife actually coordinates group packages at discounted prices for the homeschool groups that she's involved in. So we basically get discounted tickets at pretty good seats at different times during the month or week at all kinds of of plays. And so this is another field trip type outing. You know, this is the arts, you know, call it whatever you want. It's just another part of that overall education. And of course, there are Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts really worth doing for many reasons. It's not just the socialization aspect of it, but the lessons learned, the responsibility, the accountability that comes along with the events that the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts do, the badges they earn. It's a lot of fun. It's engaging. It's participatory. And I really think it's a good thing. So there's probably a lot more that I haven't covered, but you can see that there are so many resources and things to do and access to information that there's no reason why you can't homeschool or supplement your existing schooling with the resources that are out there to help build a better education for your children 
and especially the financial education. So that is it for this long episode. Uh, I hope it, it was informative and, and helpful. If, if it was, great. Let me know. If you have additional questions, maybe shoot them over to me. But that was it. So I hope I've helped some of you out with that. That's it for today. I appreciate you listening. And again, if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. I love that you do that. And I do read them all. So I appreciate that. Again, thank you for listening. And we will see you on our next episode. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.